Good morning, everybody. Everybody, welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. My name is Travis Shaddix. Thank you for joining me this morning. It's a lovely morning here in Lexington. It's been gray and cold and wet for the last several days, and today it's super sunny, not a cloud in the sky. And um, let's see if the stream's working. It looks we might have a problem. Hopefully, it's hopefully it's going. I don't know if it is, but <laughs> uh oh, YouTube crashed on me. It looks like. Are we good? Can you guys hear me in in the in the chat? Okay. My YouTube on my screen looks like it crashed, but if you guys still say I'm there, I'll I'll keep going, I guess. I'm not sure what's going on here. Okay. All right, Lush, thanks for the for the comment. I see apparently you can see and hear me. This this may or may 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 or may not be being recorded on on YouTube. I don't know. It looks like it's crashed, but I guess I'll continue. I guess. It says an error occurred. Please try again later. It's definitely a YouTube thing. Not sure. I've never had this happen. Yeah, more people are joining, so I guess I'll continue. For those joining me, it looks like YouTube might have crashed on me, but on my screen, it's basically a big error screen. The YouTube screen's a big error screen. So I may be doing, you may be the only ones watching this live, and um, it may or may not ever be recorded and, and posted. <laughs> Who knows? Um, Welcome. I mean, I'm tempted to actually close it and reopen it. Let's see if I can chat. I'm not exactly sure what to do here. Let's see if it pops up on. Yeah, it did. Okay. I'll keep going. Uh, on that note, some technical difficulties yesterday, actually, I had um. My computer was set on the wrong setting and the it looks like it went out yesterday. Everything was fine, but then when it had the recording on YouTube, so the stream that was recorded on YouTube, there's an audio and video syncing issue. So if you've watched that video, I apologize. There's nothing I can do about it because early in the video, it's not synced well. And then later in the video, it is synced well. So, all right. Thanks Six Sigma for letting me know. You can see and hear me. So I'll keep going. Um, so nothing I can do about the video from yesterday. I think I fixed the, the computer settings. My technological incompetence is rearing its ugly head once, once again. So I'm hoping I fixed it. Maybe I didn't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then also yesterday I made an error towards the end of the video. I was discussing a table, the last table I discussed, I was talking about differences in the root mass 
as if, as affected by the date of application. And I discussed those and talked about a little bit of differences and how the date of application could have um, affected it one way or the other. But I realized I made a mistake and I was talking about the table with thatch. So um, if you look at the video from yesterday, I'll be t at the very end, I'll be talking about a table and talking about differences in roots or how the, how the treatments affected roots. But in fact, the table's showing how the treatments affected the thatch. So I apologize for that error. This is live, so mistakes will, will happen. And um, I'll do my best to catch those and make a note of it. Make sure you're aware that I made an error there. So I did. Sorry about that. Today is Halloween, one of my family's favorite holidays. Even though everybody's at school and working, I still consider it a holiday. I guess it is. So um, I'm, we're having a bunch of people over here today. Before we go trick-or-treating, I think our, our neighborhood is a real good trick-or-treating neighborhood. So um, they our friends tend to meet over at our house the last year or two, and we kind of leave from here and do our neighborhood and then come back. And so today I'm cooking for, I don't know, 10 or 15 people. And I'm going to make a lasagna big old fat lasagna so i gotta i have i have every, i usually keep everything stacked stored up pretty good here but i realize i'm out of ricotta cheese so i gotta go buy some ricotta but um i love making lasagnas i don't make them near as frequently as i used to but i make lasagnas i make homemade pizzas on fridays been doing that for years. So today is a lasagna day. So as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to the grocery store and getting some groceries. And then I'm going to start making lasagna. And when it, I guess everybody will be here at four or five o'clock and then the lasagna will be ready to go when they get here. Um, heavy frost in Daytona, Ohio, Dayton. Sorry. I thought I said Daytona, Dayton, Ohio. Good. So you can watch live. Perfect, Mitch. <laughs> nice. There was there was very little frost on the on the grass this morning, but there was frost on the car window shields and everything. So it's it's that time of year we're going to start having some frost, and it's below freezing several days this week and next week and and at night. But then it warms up to the fifties and sixties during the day. Um, two to three inches of snow. Six Sigma says two to three inches of snow here in northwest metro area of Minneapolis. Okay, so you're way up there. So, um, yeah, that, that's um, it's a lot of snow real quick there. So two to three inches of snow in Minneapolis. We've had snow here before Halloween several times, but not this year. It was nice and kind of balmy. Not balmy, but it just it wasn't cold. It was just cool here, and then, then it got cold last night. So today it's, it's uh, below freezing. It was 37, or not below freezing, but very close. It was 37 degrees this morning, so... It's getting to be that time of year. The st the topics and things we've been going over on turf grass have been about fall fertility of cool season grasses. So it's no it's November tomorrow, and it got cold. So hopefully your fertility is down already. Um, you know if you have any stragglers in your routes or customers that have yet to be have any applications done, you know be light on the applications. Most of the papers we've been going over have been talking about going out September, October, the November, December applications should be 
minimized or eliminated. And if you have to go out, we're talking very low rates of soluble in like half a pound or less of soluble in is what most of the literature we've been talking about is, has been indicating is a, the, the best management practice for this time of year. Hopefully it's all out. If it's not, and you feel inclined, you need to put something out. I would encourage you to reconsider that. But if, if your customer's dead set on it, um, soluble in the low rates, will uh will suffice going up with these higher rates of soluble in at this time of year when the grass is shutting down is is not well at least the papers we've been going over have indicated that it's really not an, a good idea it's not going to really get you much other than maybe a little bit of additional spring color but you can achieve that anyway just by going out in the early spring and putting out some in and avoid all that environmental risk so um Grass Factor says it's cold in Knoxville. Done with it already. <laughs> you're done with the cold in Knoxville and it's only November? Is that what you're, or it's not even November. Is that what you're saying? Or you're, you're done with the season. I don't know if you're done with the cold or done with the season, but hopefully you're not done with the cold. It's just now starting. Are you not a cold person? I don't know. I, uh, I was in Florida for 20 years and, um, when I first moved down there, they're like, oh no, it gets cold in Florida. I moved from Oklahoma. So they're all gets cold and, um, <laughs> gets cold in Florida. I'm like, what are you talking about? It gets cold in Florida. Oh, it's a, it's a humid cold. I'm like, okay. North central Florida, like Gainesville does get a lot of frosts, but I'm, I, I didn't own a pair of shoes for 20 years in Florida other than business shoes. I, I had flip flops even in the middle of winter. Okay. I, I I didn't have, it, it's not, you know, no offense to Floridians. I still consider myself to some degree a Floridian, but it's not cold in Florida. Okay. Even in, Ga in Gainesville, even in Live Oak, you know, m maybe up in Pensacola or, you know, Milton area, maybe it gets cold perhaps, but it's not that cold up there, guys. You know, you gotta, you gotta man up a little bit. It, it gets down to maybe in the mid thirties for an hour or two at night for four or five days a year, maybe in North Florida, but it's not that cold here. It's nice, nice and cold. I like it cold. I can always put on clothes. No problem. Um, so Mitch Berg asks Miss Mitch bird. Sorry. Mitch bird asks, is there any benefit to going out with ammonium sulfate and not urea? Absolutely. Very good question. And the answer is absolutely. There's benefit. There's absolutely a disadvantage as well. So I'll just, I'm not showing any papers on that. I feel, you know, uh, hesitant to answer questions like this. Cause I, I don't, I've mentioned it before. I don't want people to walk away from this channel in any capacity saying Travis Shattuck said this. So that's why I'm doing it. That is not the intent. I would like for people to be able to go find um, resources in, in the scientific literature on their own. Um, but I'll answer this question. I'll answer, I'll try to answer any question. I just don't want you to walk away with it like this is, you know, the law because I said it. That's, that's not the case. I want you to follow the evidence and, and where the evidence leads is where the evidence leads. But in the case of ammonium sulfate and urea, it's pretty pretty clear i mean the consensus with these two sources is pretty clear they've been you know we've been applying it for decades and decades so the benefit of urea is, is it's expense it's it's not very expensive 
and you get you the response that you're looking for from uh, compared to other end sources it's going to get you the response um, equal to or greater than many other end sources assuming you're applying it at the correct rate and the right time and all these things um, so that's the benefit of urea uh, the benefit of ammonium sulfate over urea is twofold really one if you have a high ph soil or it's floating in the sevens upper sevens and eights and that ph is resulting in some sort of turf grass issue which is critical i don't care what the ph is and people i'm not being facetious i don't care what the ph is the soil if the turf grass looks good and it's acceptable to you then it's fine okay but if if the turf grass isn't looking well it's not responding well um it's just not acceptable for you for some reason and your ph is say in the high sevens or or greater well let's say high sevens to like eight three eight four once you get up and above eight eight and a half or so then it's another issue but let's say you get you know seven eight seven nine eight oh something like that then ammonium sulfate is going to help reduce that ph down over time it's very slow well it's not very slow i mean it's, it's slower than sulfur um, but you can reduce it and depending on the soil texture and, and so forth you can reduce the soil ph using ammonium sulfate by a full unit in one year and i have um the the is it the 79 the 79 snyder paper shows that let me pull that up if i have it here handy the 79 snyder paper documents Let's see if I have that sitting here handy. Snyder 79. Yeah, I was right. 79, son of a gun. Let me go to PD, PDF. PDF. Reduce this down. So for some reason, a lot of people who don't know or salesmen or I don't know what it is, they don't think ammonium sulfate does what, what I say it does. Well, I'm not saying it does. The evidence says it does. Let me see if I can move this over. Okay, so you can kind of see, I can just, yeah, you can kind of see what, man, let me just back it down. That, that, that graph is clear enough. I'll just, I'll just reduce it. So the 79 pe um, Snyder paper, which is ridiculous. He, he, just say this, George, Dr. George Snyder is the greatest living turf grass soil scientist, bar none. Okay, there, I said it. it it's just the way it is. It, if you don't like it, you know argue it with somebody else because it's going to be extremely difficult for me to be convinced that some other scientist is greater than dr george snyder he is emeritus now he's been retired for over a decade he's great on many many levels he's probably embarrassed that i would even say this about him but it's true so it is what it is um he published his paper in 1979 and what what you see here is set in 1975 you see as month for those listening i'm looking at a graph with on the x-axis we have months and on the y-axis we have soil ph and it goes october november december january all the way through the months from 1975 to the, to july of 1978 and he was putting this down uh ammonium sulfate you'll see one line and you'll see the other one is calcium nitrate and this was done in South Florida. So we're dealing with a little bit more of a sandy soil. So, you know, I mean, it does, it will differ. The magnitude change will differ based upon soil texture and so forth. But, um, when he's, when he was applying ammonium sulfate, he's, both soils, it was on the same soil. So the soil started a little bit above seven, seven, one, seven, two. And over the span of three years, actually over the span of one year. So from December of 75 to December of 
76, he reduced the pH from 7.1 to about 5 using ammonium sulfate. Of course, the rate's going to man it. I can't remember the rate he used on this. But you can greatly reduce the pH of your soil simply by switching your your ammonia, your nitrogen source from urea to ammonium sulfate. I'm not going to go into this paper anymore because I don't want to I don't want to distract myself for another two hours going over Snyder's papers, which I could read for I have been reading for decades. Um, so the advantage of ammonium sulfate, number one, well, not number one, but one of the advantages over urea is that you can have a profound impact on soil pH. And it doesn't take that long. As you show, showed there, Snyder did it in one year, and it maintained that low pH for the next two years. So if your pH is high and the turf grass is not acceptable because it's high, that's to me, that's a critical component, um, then using ammonium sulfate rather than urea would, be, would likely benefit you. Um, the second benefit which i think has gone unnoticed or un unrecognized for well it's recognized but it's just sort of been a secondary thing it hasn't really been on the forefront of people's minds for for several years is um the sulfate uh use so ammonium sulfate has sulfate so um excuse me the uh the sulfate never, and I shouldn't say never, but it just generally hasn't been considered to be of great use in turf grass management. I don't know really why, but it is a macronutrient. And throughout the 70s and 80s, we had a lot of sulfur in our soils that was coming down in the rain from our various industrial processes, and we've cleaned that up. And because we've cleaned that up, the sulfur being deposited in rainfall has been reduced. And I can show you some papers from the NADP, from the National National atmospheric deposition program nadp you can look that up yourself if you want to um, that shows the reduction in sulfur de depositions over the last uh, 10 to 20 years and because we've reduced that the sulfur in our soil has also been declining and because the sulfur in the soil is declining we're starting to see sulfur deficiencies pop up not just in turf grass but also in row crops as well and so when we're applying ammonium sulfate we're applying a sulfate form well the sulfate as well as the ability to reduce pH if that is so desired in your case. So that's about a five or 10 minute explanation as to why in some cases ammonium sulfate would be a better option than urea. It's a little bit more expensive than urea, but it provides a reduction in pH. If you don't want a reduction in pH, let's say your pH is four and a half. Someone was in here the other day had a four and a half pH. Well, that's still the situation. Even if you had a sulfur deficiency, I would not be applying ammonium sulfate to a four and a half pH soil that's deficient in sulfur. I'd be applying gypsum or something like that if, if sulfur is the source of your uh, unacceptable turf grass. But um, if your pH is high, then it'll provide that reduction. And it doesn't take that long. You know, if you have heavy clay soils, it'll take a little longer than a year. But that's the benefit of ammonium sulfate over urea. So, um, oh, so Matt, oh, the Matt at, uh, I assume grass factor, I guess GF is grass factor has a great video on ammonium sulfate. Okay. I don't know if I've seen that. Maybe you can post it or send it to me in discord or something. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if that's what he, what he said or didn't say, but those are generally the two advantages that I would I would go to for ammonium sulfate over urea. Mitch Mitch says I lost a a, a yard 
I lost a yard a few yards ago because my rep never talked to me about ammonium sulfate and I didn't do enough homework on it. We did a soil test and the pH was high 7.8 comes to mind. Ammonium sulfate would have helped. Probably. Yeah. I mean, ammonium sulfate is more, um, has a greater risk of phyto than urea. So if you're putting out, if you want to do some tip burn work, put out your, uh, like really, uh, small particles, like a micro or a mini size granule of ammonium sulfate on dew in the morning and don't water it in. If you ever wanted to intentionally induce tip burn on turf grass, you will do it really quick with ammonium sulfate compared to urea. Urea can still burn for sure, but ammonium and ammonium sulfate, uh, can be put out very safely all over the place. No problem. But if you, if you don't know what you're doing with it and you just put it out on the dew, which is usually the case in the morning, cause people are, you know, putting the applications out first thing, you know, the ones before lunch generally will have dew on the grass when you're putting it out. If you're going out with real fine particles and it's not being washed off the leaf, it's sitting on the leaf and it has a little bit of moisture there. It'll, it'll definitely cause some tip burn. It'll grow out of it. Usually it's not like it's going to be dead, but in the meantime, your homeowner, your client's going to probably wonder what, what you did. So just be mindful of that. Okay. Uh, we have a video today, so I'm going to go over this video, assuming that YouTube <laughs> is going to let me <laughs> for some reason, YouTube on this thing is, is showing that it crashed, but I'm going to try to go over a video and, um, want to do this because I've been receiving through, uh, YouTube's I'm assuming through the algorithm, I'm receiving a lot of videos and quite frankly, I don't need any more reasons to go into mental health therapy any more than I'm doing now. Okay. I don't, I don't want these videos cause most of them are crap to be honest. Most of them are just, it's misinformation and uh, misunderstanding and a huge dose of Dunning Kruger. Like you wouldn't believe, um, I watched a video the other day on it. I I'll have to pull. I don't know who it was. I met, I bet I can go back in my history and watch it. I, my wife actually asked me, what are you laughing at? I could not stop laughing because the guy in the video, <laughs> oh Lord, I should have, I should have pulled this up. I, I would pull I don't want to be cruel. I mean, I don't want to be unkind. Um, but when you say things like that, it was so funny. He said, he was talking about something on, uh, must've been fertility, something fall fertility. And he goes, perhaps I know too much about turf grass. And I literally laughed for 15 straight minutes. I, I, my, my abdomen was hurting because I was laughing so hard. He knows too much about turf grass. There is not, a, I haven't seen a better, more clear case of someone being on top of Mount stupid than that. And the top, top of Mount stupid is the peak of the Dunning Kruger effect, right? So when you first start learning about something, your, your confidence goes sky high and the top of that peak is ref commonly referred to as Mount stupid because you're so confident in, in yourself because you've learned a little bit. And when that phrase, I guess I know too much about turf grass just struck me as something unbelievably funny i was just like wow I, I i can't believe someone would think that much less actually say that out loud on a on a video but because i don't feel that way at all ever the more i learn about this stuff the more ignorant i feel you know i think oh maybe i kind of got this figured i've been doing nitrogen and potassium phosphorus work for 20 years and every now and then i'm going i think i kind of got the potassium thing kind of worked out and i'm like damn it there's another video or another article that i'm like i didn't realize that i was i was wrong you know 
And uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I just thought it was funny. So, but anyway, I'm going to show a video today that is the opposite. I finally got a video today, or actually it was yesterday. Actually, this morning. Like I finally got a video this morning. I'm like, finally, this person seems to get it. And so I want to show something positive. I don't want to be, you know, cruel and unkind and 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 negative and and um not that there's anything wrong with that there is a place for ridicule believe me um but we're gonna watch this video today and um i'm gonna give this guy i don't know who it is i don't know what the guy's name is but i just thought okay well maybe maybe there's a light some there's a light of hope somewhere out there because not every video is completely inaccurate Let's um, check out the video. This video is titled Fall Fertilizer, Beautiful Lawns Start in the Fall. And it's, I guess this is the name. It's, all, it's called Homegrown How-To. I've, I've never heard of that. But let's listen to what he says. And um, it's only very, very short. It's four, four minutes and 41 seconds. So we'll probably watch the whole thing. Here we go. Some of the best lawns are made in the fall. Today, we're going to be talking about fall fertilizer. What's going on everybody? This is Chaz with Homegrown How To. Welcome back to the channel. If so I guess his name is Chaz. Maybe, maybe you know him. Maybe he's here. I don't even know. But I guess his name is Chaz or Chaz. If this is your first time, thanks for stopping by. In this video, we're going to be talking about fall fertilization or winterizing your lawn. A fall fertilization or winterization is easily the most important application anyone can do throughout the year. So what you put on your lawn is key. Well, I, I don't completely agree with that, nor does the evidence. That's the one thing I'm saying. Uh, is the most important or most influential or most useful? I mean, that's certainly debatable. I, I would... I would, sh I've shown, actually, I think it was yesterday, the day before yesterday, I showed a video or showed a, a video, showed an article, uh, that talked about the, the early spring application actually resulted in more, uh, uniform prolonged color and quality throughout the year than the late fall or the heavy fall application. So the spring applications, when the grass is beginning to grow out of dormancy, there's certainly clearly evidence to support the, um, an argument against that particular statement, you know, the, the fall being the most important. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily argue it. I'm just saying there's evidence to the contrary. And you want to make sure you get it right. So in this video, that's what we're going to talk about. The goal of fall fertilization is to allow the lawn to store as much carbohydrate in its root system as it can so that it can stay strong, survive those harsh winter months, and green up really fast come spring. So it only makes sense to apply anything to your lawn while it is actively growing that way it can absorb the nutrients, store that throughout the winter, and reap the benefits. Okay, so I watched a video yesterday, and someone, somebody, uh, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. I don't want to say anybody's name because I don't want to get it wrong, give someone credit where it's not due. But somebody uh, uh, texted me or, or, or uh, whatever you call it, chatted with me in the Discord, the uh the discord group that I'm a, I'm a group of, I'm a, in a member of, I can't remember the name. It's, it's the grass factors, uh, discord server. Um, and I forget if it's like a private chat, whatever. Anyway, they sent me a video yesterday and it was about applying uh, milorganite in the, in the late fall or winter. So basically we have this gentleman saying, uh -oh, we have this gentleman saying that, um, the uh sorry about that we have this gentleman saying that it doesn't make sense or you shouldn't be applying nutrients when the grass is not growing and we have another gentleman in another video actually you can probably show dozens of videos 
where they're applying nutrients when the grass is dormant, dormant winter and dormant applications. And so you can't both simultaneously be true, right? I mean, that's the um, logic, you know, the, you know, I'm not going to go into all the whole, you know, the three logical absolutes. You can't be this and be that simultaneously. They can't both be true simultaneously. Uh, so, so, so someone's right and someone's wrong here, assuming that they're both in the same ecosystem, the same area. So you can't both have, you shouldn't apply when you're, when your grass is dormant. And also someone say you should apply when the grass is dormant and have them both be correct. And I would, what I would say is that the overwhelming amount of information that we have in the literature indicates that this gentleman is correct when he says applying nutrients. When I say, when, when I say nutrients, I'm talking about specifically nitrogen and phosphorus, whether or not potassium and calcium and lime and sulfur and all that stuff to me. It's not much value because the ground is frozen and it's going to be very, very slow to do whatever reaction is, is going to, it's going to do like, for example, lime, for example, but environmentally, it's not of much consequence. You're not going to cause some sort of environmental risk or result in some sort of adverse consequence by applying lime or something in the, in the middle of winter. I mean, it's, you know, I wouldn't do it, but it's relatively insignificant or benign, but nitrogen and phosphorus are not, they, they can actually cause issues downstream literally and metaphorically by applying it to turf grass that is dormant and not actively growing okay so when i say you shouldn't really be applying i'm talking about nitrogen and phosphorus and this gentleman says you really shouldn't apply it whenever the grass isn't is not actively growing and the evidence certainly supports that statement spring so applying while the ground is still green not frozen not dormant and actively growing is key and you'll want to do this with a fast release nitrogen source so we've been talking about this. I'm going to get, I'm going to let it run now, but we've been talking about this, a fast release nitrogen source in the fall, um, as opposed to slower release nitrogen sources. And this gentleman is, is on track with that same, uh, line of thinking that we've been discussing in the literature. Not all fall fertilizers or winterizers for that matter are created equal. If you go to a big box store, walk down the aisle, you will, you could potentially be overwhelmed with all the different winterizers that are on the shelf. Some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. Now you want to avoid any slow release nitrogen source, any nitrogen coated urea or water insoluble nitrogen. You want to steer clear of those. I know a lot. So, I, so the literature certainly supports that. Now he might, I don't know. He's looking down like he's reading something and I hope he is. I hope he's reading something from a, a, a extension bulletin or a university publication of some kind, because if he is, uh, that's what I'm hoping that we do too. Instead of instead of saying, "Well, I'm doing this because it worked last year," or "I'm doing this because Travis Shattuck said this," instead of doing that, we're we're, we're you're saying well, I'm following these management practices because the evidence supports this application, and the evidence is this, 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 and this, right? And I hope he's reading that. I don't know if he's just reading his own notes or he's you know reading a bulletin. I don't know. A lot of people love malorganite. I've also used it myself, but it is something you do not want to add to the lawn in the fall because that is a slow release source. So he says that, and the other gentleman that I was talking to, um, or I, I was watching the video, was is not only saying apply nutrients in the winter and dormant grass, he was saying apply molorganite. So again, you can't have both simultaneously be true under the same conditions. And, and like I said, the evidence would, would, would support this gentleman's statement. Any sort of organic fertilizer is going to be slow release, such as the molorganite. 
the type of nitrogen source you do want to look for, as I stated earlier, is a fast-release nitrogen. Now, fast-release nitrogens are ammonium sulfate, ammonium nitrate, and urea. These three are all water-soluble, meaning they dissolve fast with water application. So you want to make sure you water that lawn probably within about a day after you apply that fertilizer to the lawn, just so that it can dissolve, get those nutrients down into the soil, and prevent it burning the lawn. Here is the urea fertilizer I'm going to be using. It's a 50-pound bag covers 23,000 square feet. So I'm gonna be putting 2.1 pounds of this on per thousand. Okay, so he just weighs it out. And with any type of fertilizer that you do buy, you wanna make sure you're reading the label on the bag. The label on the bag will tell you exactly what the nitrogen source is. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're probably just not gonna get the same results that you should. Now you do not wanna apply any sort of fertilizer to a dormant lawn or a lawn that is starting to enter dormancy because nitrogen is very mobile in the soil. It can cause leaching very easily. You want to make sure that that nitrogen is completely uptaken by the soil and by the plant. So again, apply a fast release nitrogen source to a lawn that is still green, still growing. Okay, um, oh, it says when to apply. I was gonna skip to the end, but. Couple rules of thumb. You can do an application about two to three weeks before Thanksgiving, as well as what your local temps are. The closer you're getting to freezing, the closer you're getting to that lawn to stop growing as well as the lawn to begin to enter dormancy. Okay, so I'm just going to stop it there. But but I just wanted to say to this gentleman, if he's listening, if everybody's watched this, thank you for at least putting out something that is evidence-based. I don't know him. I don't know if he's a good or bad person. I have no idea. But the information he's talking about is certainly in line with what we've been showing and is justified by the information in the literature that we've been discussing. So... Um, not all YouTube videos um, send my blood pressure through <laughs> through the roof. <laughs> I was like, finally, I mean, finally, someone you know not only gets it as put a video online that shows it. Um, anyway, I just wanted to point out that there are some good good videos out there and good streamers out there who who put out information that is uh, true. So good for you, uh, Chaz or Chaz. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. Thank you for putting that out. Okay, so let's get into the the PDF today, which is exactly in relation related to that um, gentleman's comments about slow release versus urea. The title of the article today is "Single Fall Applications of Coated Urea Fertilizers Produce a High Quality Kentucky Bluegrass Turf" by Dr. Bigelow, uh, Christina Walker, and Glenn Hardbeck. Um, this was published in Applied Turfgrass, which is no longer a journal. It's actually been merged with another journal called um, Crop Forage and Turfgrass Management. It's available for free online. Anybody in the world can go and download. Don't go and download this now. When this journal was being published, um, this was in 2007. The format or the 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 way in which the 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 document looks is a little less. Um, clean, I guess, or it's a little less fancy looking. Uh, so, but like I said, they've merged now with another couple of journals and it's a little more, it looks more like an official sort of document nowadays. But as we go through this, you'll notice it looks a little bit different. The tables and stuff are a little bit different formatted than, than what you might be used to for some of the other stuff I've, I've been going over, but we're going to be talking about single applications. And he's going to do multiple applications too. compare it to the single application of, of coated fertilizers compared to urea. The introduction is real brief. I'll just, I've whited out some stuff, but basically 
the fertilizer nitrogen is generally not applied to maximize it generally is not applied to maximize yield which would result in increased mowing but to sustain density and greenness thus most nitrogen programs are specifically designed to moderate the end supply either with multiple in applications or changing in sources so that the turf grass growth remains at sub-maximal levels so basically what he's talking about is we're not trying to grow hay we're not trying to grow and grow and grow apples or wheat or anything like that we're just trying to have a sustainable sword that is acceptable to the average person or to whoever or whatever acceptable limit you have and we're not trying to push it really into anything beyond that we're not harvesting it and selling it unless you're in soil reduction many factors many factors affect in-source selection including cost availability desired turf response and potential for turf injury urea is the most widely used in-source for lawn fertilization because it is water soluble results in rapid green greening and growth and is relatively inexpensive okay um to minimize turf injury growth flushes and environmental loss urea applications rarely exceed one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet therefore therefore several urea nitrogen applications are required to maintain greenness and sustain moderate growth this is you know likely true i mean you need to apply regular applications of urea uh, but we're going to find out in this document that that might not necessarily be the case uh, this frequent fertilization increases time, effort, and dedication required to maintain a high-quality lawn. So he's building a case um, to investigate, can we minimize or eliminate multiple applications of soluble urea and still have sustainable turf or acceptable turf? Thus, control-release end sources like sulfur-coated urea that do not rely upon microbial degradation for nitrogen release have been evaluated for their ability to control or ability to produce a high-quality turf. I'm not sure what he means. It does not rely upon microbial degradation. There is some evidence that shows that the sulfur shell um, does crack as a result of microbial interactions. And there's some evidence to indicate that it cracks as, as a result of no microbial um, interaction. But, um, and I'm not sure what he means there by that, but there there is evidence on both sides. The the, the impact or the, the presence of microbial activity can hasten the release of urea from sulfur-coated urea. And in some cases it doesn't. Um, Anyway, the newest group of control release is polymer coated urea. So he's building a case. Can we just can we do without these multiple applications of soluble soluble, soluble urea by coating it? Basically, is what what the question is. Since it is accepted by high quality turf grass requires in applications of approximately two to three pounds of in per year. I don't know if that's completely accepted, but fine. And homeowners are unlikely to commit extra effort to multiple in applications. And the fact that nitrogen fertilizers are increasingly less available after early fall. And if the current goal for lawn fertilization is to recommend programs that maximize turf performance, okay, I don't um, necessarily agree with that. I don't think that's the standard for everybody. With reduced management inputs, information regarding programs that limit fertilizer label or both labor or both would be valuable. Now, maximizing turf performance would be the case in sport turf, saw production, in some cases golf, but most lawn care companies or lawn care owners or homeowners to maximize turf performance would be the case in some situations, but it probably wouldn't be the case in many, many homeowners' um, viewpoints and eyes to, to grow turf at its maximum level of performance might not necessarily be the standard for most homeowners, but nevertheless. Um, one alternative strategy to multiple fall in applications is a single relatively large, meaning three pounds in, September-only application from slow-release sources is basically what he's saying. 
the strategy would provide sufficient in during a period of active growth, September through November, thus reducing leaching potential, minimize the labor requirement. So can you apply one application of heavy in the September, coat it, and have it last uh, relative to the other applications of soluble in? The objective of this study was to compare Kentucky bluegrass responses to three commercially available urea-based fertilizers applied either in three monthly one-pound applications or a single three-pound application September, you know, beyond. So that's how they set it up. The field study was conducted in uh, Purdue. It was it was conducted in Purdue in West, West Lafayette, Indiana from September 2003 through April 2006. So it was for three growing seasons. Three commercial uh, commercially available mini-sized grams. So mini, if you don't know what mini is, for those folks who um, don't really care or know, it's fine. But like fairway grade fertilizers or normal normal homeowner grade fertilizers are like SGN size 240, 220, 240 or greater or something like that. They're rather large. The mini-sized particle is like, say, you know, one. 40 something like that 150 is around that number there's a range there and it's a much much more uniform and fine uh, particle size and then you have micros that are like less than 90 less than 100 something like that are very very small particles and the intention behind that the reason he's saying that is because the application of a mini has a much more uniform distribution and coverage than a than a say a fairway grade size or typical homeowner uh, granule would because it's it's much smaller but you're still getting out the same amount of um, of nutrient it's just being spread with many many more particles i don't know if it really makes much of a difference on high cut turf grass but on low cut turf grass it definitely can uh so he used urea sulfur coated urea and then polymer coated urea now i want to make a point point this out for those people who are in the know the urea was 46.0 the sulfur coat was a 32.00 from knox I don't remember a sulfur coat being that low, except for maybe in the 80s. I mean, that's low. So I think probably what that is, is a normal sulfur coat that's been diluted with the filler, maybe. I don't I don't know if that's true or not, but 3200 is, uh, if it is pure sulfur coat, that is an unbelievably thick coated sulfur coat. Because normally sulfur coats nowadays are like, 43s 44s back in some down sometimes in the 80s and 90s you might have seen some 38 oos and some 39 oos and so forth but 32 to me that sounds like it's just diluted with some other filler but i could be wrong and then the polymer coat was polyon 4100 now 4100 is borderline a nursery grade product okay but this was a mini okay so when you have a polymer coat 4100 mini, it's not the same as a polymer coat 4100 regular because uh, the mini will release much quicker than the granular, than the, than the fairway grade 4100. So there's a, there's a nursery grade 4100 that's a fairway grade or, or a large particle. There's a mini 4100. They don't release at the same rate. The mini 4100 releases much quicker than the granular size 4100. The reason I say that is because if you're reading through here and you're in the note and you go, oh, that's a 4100, that, that's going to release too slow. This was a mini. Okay. You wouldn't normally put out a 4100 at one pound in, which is what they do here in this study. You wouldn't normally do that. But in a mini size, you can and get away with it. Okay. Just probably more detail than you want to know. Anyway. 
Yeah. So the grass factor said that's that's the old Tennessee Valley Authority kind of wild coating. Yeah. I mean, I, 32 is low on that sulfur coat, but I, I can't imagine this was in 2007. I didn't even know that still existed in 2007. Nowadays, the the cost of putting that much sulfur on there is um, the, the competitive product uses much less sulfur. So generally it will cost less money. But anyway, you don't really see that nowadays. Okay, the turf was grown on a silt loam with a pH of 7.2 and an organic matter of 1.6%. Additionally, the levels of magnesium, manganese, sulfur, and iron were sufficient, so they give those. And, you know, I'm not going to argue that right now. <laughs> we'll get into soil testing at some point. All fertilizers were initially applied on September, the middle of September 2003. And then... Uh, they were applied in basically the middle of October and the middle of November. So you have applications going out in Lafayette, Indiana, or West Lafayette, in the middle of September, the middle of October, and the middle of November for the applications that required three applicate for the treatments that required three applications. And the treatments that required one application went out on the September 12th date each year. Okay, so they did this repetitively for three years. Clippings were harvested weekly. I'm not going to go into all the details, but you're welcome to read that if you want. Plots were visually assessed for turf grass quality at least twice monthly during the growing season, April through November, on a 0 to 10 scale, with 0 being brown, 10 being optimum, and 6 being acceptable. So we're going we're gonna to use this number 6 today a lot. Anything 6 or greater is going to be acceptable. Okay? Don't forget that. We're going to come back to that many times today. Canopy greenness was determined twice monthly, and they used a field scout to do that. That's an instrument that we shoot a little uh, light. There's a light at the turf. And it reflects back a certain wavelength, and we measure that uh, wavelength. And th that's how they measured greenness. Dollar spot periodically affected quality and disease severity and was rated on per, uh, as percent blight on a linear scale. On a linear 0 to 100 scale, where 0 was no damage, and 100 was complete blot blight. So you'll see that at the end briefly. Okay, you, I'm, you can go through here and read all the text and everything, all the results and everything if you want to. I'm probably not going to do that. I'm just going to go over the tables. Because everything I want to talk about, everything they talk about is in these tables anyway. Okay, each table, what I've done is I've highlighted the source of nitrogen. So if it's yellow, it's from sulfur. If it's green, it's from polyon. And if it's red, it's the control. Okay, so table one, for those listening, we're, we're talking now table one, Kentucky bluegrass turf quality as affected by various urea nitrogen sources application rates and timing. So we have the sources, sulfur coat, urea, polymer coat urea, or the control. And then we have the rates. One pound, three pounds, and we have one pound applied three times, and so forth. And then we have the timing, what month they applied, they did it, September or September, October, November. And then we have turf grass quality. So when it comes to turf grass um, responses or how do we measure impact or how do we measure critical limits or whatever the case is, we have to pick something. In ag, it's easy. It's money. You know, critical threshold, yield threshold, or, or, you know, profit threshold, whatever the case is in ag. But in turf, we don't have, unless you're solid production, we don't have profit threshold for our lawn. We don't have how much grass is maximally growing out in our lawn, and how can we maximize that? That's generally not a desired uh, metric to have our grass growing and baling hay every week. So what is generally accepted by most homeowners or most um, superintendents or most turf grass people is what is the quality of the turf? Is it acceptable or is it not? So I, I put a lot of uh, weight on the turf quality numbers relative to other metrics in turf grass, like for example, yield 
or growth rate or things like that. Those are those are important in some cases, but in 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 most cases, if there's a turf quality rating, I'm going to use that first. So what we have here is turf quality ratings from zero to ten. Six is the minimal acceptable. Let's look at the control first. In the fall of 2003, when they just started the study, the control was acceptable, and you can see for the next two years it was unacceptable and the overall average was unacceptable. So clearly they had a location that was suitable to show the impact of nitrogen compared to applying no nitrogen. If you don't apply any, you're going to have unacceptable turf grass. If this control was a 7777 or an 88 all the way across, and then we're looking at the influence of nitrogen, you wouldn't see the influence of nitrogen near as much because the turf grass is already acceptable without it. Okay, this is the importance of having a non-treated uh, control in the study. So the first year we're going to see no differences. Everything's an A. If you see an A here, it means that they're no difference. So none of the nitrogen sources separated themselves out in the first year <clears throat> because the turf grass was acceptable without it. It's real simple. Okay. When we go to the 2004 year and the 2005 year, what we're going to see is urea applied at one pound in September as an A in the first year, A, it's an A and a B. When you see an A here, what it's going to tell you is, is that no matter what the other numbers are, there's not going to be a number that was greater than one pound of urea applied in September because A is going to be the highest. Here we have A from Polyon applied at three pounds in September, but the A indicates that it's the same as applying one pound of urea in September. Okay. In the second year, we see some separation a little bit where the three pounds of polyon in September did separate itself out from the one pound of urea in September. So we do see a slight difference. It's a, a full point. So biologically, you're going to see that out there looking at that grass. The average homeowner is probably going to be able to see a difference between a 6.5 and a 7.6. So not only statistically, but biologically, there's a separation there. However, when we look at the other end sources and the end rates, with, with the exception of sulfur coat, the other urea, which is here, applied three applications, September, October, and November. <clears throat> or the sulfur coat applied three pounds in September. They don't separate themselves out from the, the more expensive polymer coat. And that's the reason I'm mentioning it, is because when you move from urea to anything else, you're going to add money. You're going to add cost to it. And in the case of sulfur coat which is the least expensive slow release source maybe besides some of the reactants can can now no, the reactors are going to be more expensive too so sulfur coat maybe someone can post in chat sulfur coats are pretty much going to be the least expensive slow release source per ton and per per pound of in yeah that, that's yeah i'm pretty sure that's i can't think of an end source that would be less expensive per ton or per in per pound of in than sulfur coat a granular coated product even even the reactives are going to be more expensive so when you're going to if you're going to use a slow release what this is saying is the the sulfur coated urea <clears throat> and the polymer coated urea resulted in the same response so the question is well why would i want to use a more expensive polymer coated urea if it's going to give me the same response you wouldn't if you're going to do one application in September, three pounds from sulfur-coated urea would get you the greatest response. The I'm, don't 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 uh, snip that out and run with it as a as a as a short, okay? <laughs> because hold on, I'm not done yet. 
the urea applied three one app, app three one pound applications also resulted in the equivalent quality so you didn't need to buy the slow release but if you wanted this maximum quality then you needed to apply it three times september october november if you wanted that okay so you can do without the slow release you just got to apply it more frequently in this case to get the same response as a, as the more expensive slow release however Remember, the minimum acceptable limit was six. So in the fall of 2003, in the year 2004, and the year 2005, one pound of urea in September resulted in completely acceptable turf grass. Remember, the control is unacceptable down here. So one pound in September was enough. You didn't need to go and apply all that extra nitrogen you didn't need to buy the more expensive slow-release materials, whether it was um, sulfur coat or whether it was polymer coat. You, you did gain a little bit in the quality above acceptable limits. If you wanted a more superior greening or more dense turf, if you wanted a higher quality, you can achieve that by using some of the slow-release materials. But you can also achieve it just by using urea and applying it three times rather than once. Okay. This right here, this urea treatment is the same quality as these. So if you want to go out once and you want to maximize all your quality, then this is showing that the slow release is likely your best bet. They didn't have a three pound urea treatment in here. Uh, that would probably not be wise to do that. You're applying a lot of soluble in one shot. So they probably that's probably the reason they didn't include it. But you can do that with one shot if you're so inclined and you want to spend the money. You can spend the money and what you're going to gain according to these data is you're going to gain one unit in turf quality from 6.5 to 7.6 if you use polymer coat and you're going to gain a half a point a 0.6 points if you use a sulfur coat but you're still going to have acceptable turf grass just by applying urea in september and the overall study mean was the same you had a little bit um, higher quality with some of these slow release materials but the the one pound sulfur the one pound urea and the three one pound applications of urea were both acceptable and the three three one pound applications of urea was equivalent to all the slow release materials okay so what you're gaining by using the, the the slow release materials is the ability to put it out once rather than three times but you're you're having you're spending a lot of money a lot more money to do that and when i say what is a lot more money i'm going to go into that at some point i'm going to go over the cost there's a paper on the cost of these nitrogen sources um but if urea is I don't know someone can look it up but if urea is uh i don't even know what the cost of urea is nowadays but let's say it's 800 a ton polymer coat urea is going to be 1500 a ton 1600 a ton depending on which polymer coat you get this is a mini so it's going to be much more expensive roughly speaking it's going to be around twice as much as the as the urea maybe that's a fair way to say it roughly speaking okay so you're going, it's not like, oh, I'm going to spend 5% more, 10% more. I'll get, no, you're not. You're going to spend double. Okay. So if that spending double is worth it to you, you're going to gain maybe one unit of turf quality above not using, above not spending double. So versus say you're spending $20 on a bag of fertilizer versus 40 or 45 bags on a fertilizer. Both of them are going to give you acceptable turf grass. One of them is going to give you a little bit better. Is that worth it to you? That's, that's up to you. To decide that whether it's not whether that's a wise decision for your business or not but that's that's what these data are showing let's go down to the um 
dates. So that was the over that was the annual the the yearly numbers. Okay, the yearly numbers. And this table here. Oh, I didn't change. I didn't do this. I thought I'd change. Let me change this real quick to the greens. Okay. In uh, this one, we have the same setup, but we're looking at the April, the spring and fall of 2004, the spring and fall of 2005. So we're looking at turf quality, not overall, but just within each season. And what I want to point out here is this, if I can get it open, is this. In the spring of each year, the turf quality was unacceptable from all end sources. Okay. They're below six for all in sources right here. Okay. These are both, all these numbers are below six. So none of the turf grass out there was acceptable, regardless of whether you put out three pounds from sulfur coat or polyon, or you put out one pound from urea or three pounds from urea. None of them resulted in acceptable turf grass in April of either year. There were some that were slightly greater than others. Let me release, uh, release some of this. There were some that were A's. See these A's here. So these are all the same, the sulfur coat, the three, three, one pound applications of urea, and then the, the poly, polymer coat urea. These are all the same. They were all greater than one pound in September of urea, but they're all unacceptable. And the only difference occurred that was, you know, relatively significant is the three pound application of polymer coat urea in the second year had about a point or two higher than some of the other the other slow release sources in the spring but it was still unacceptable if you were to go out there and look at that you're looking at a five on a quality scale you would notice that that's not an acceptable turf grass and you, you would notice that so it's like it's bad it's just not as bad as some of the other ones is what the way that i would read that okay in the springs in the in the falls we see um one pound of urea in september it has an a in the first year only in the second year it is slightly different but i'm going to show you what happens there <laughs> so in the in the fall of 2004 we have one pound in september was a 6.8 and all the other ones have a's except for the sulfur coat the slow release one one pound in september so we wouldn't want to apply just one pound of sulfur coat in september um it wouldn't it wouldn't release fast enough is what this is saying which is exactly the opposite of what some of these YouTubers are saying, they're using slow release and you know all the coated fertilizers and organic fertilizers in the fall. This right here will show you. You can do that if the rate's high enough, but if you do it at one pound in September, this is showing that this is uh, well below the quality of other in sources and and also unacceptable in the first year. Okay, but one pound of urea from September results in the the equivalent quality from all these other sources and three one out one pound applications didn't have any difference at all. It was 6.8 and 6.8. Okay. Now there is, um, uh, a difference in the second year where the urea is a C now. Okay. So it's quite, quite much, quite a lot lower than some of the other in sources, but the three one out one pound applications of urea was an eight and is, is at the highest and all the other ones are, are equivalent to that. Basically the, you have the, PCU here is low, but we have A's and A's and A's and A's and A's. So from the sulfur coat applied in three pounds in September and urea applied three times over September, October, November, we see the maximum quality being equivalent from those in sources. But get this, the one pound of sulfur, I'm sorry, the one pound of urea in September is a 7.5. It's clearly acceptable. Okay. Applying one pound in September versus applying three pounds from sulfur coat or polyon or three one pound applications of urea throughout the 
the, the remainder of the fall, that one pound in September is getting us acceptable turf grass very consistently. So if you're going to apply more, it's up to you to determine whether or not, assuming it's within your, your legal limits and your BMP limits in your location, but it's up to you to determine, okay, I got it, Dr. Shaddix, it's acceptable, but I want an eight. Okay. Or let's see, eight's the same. So I, I know I want um, an 8.4. You're going to gain one unit from a 7.5 to an 8.4 by, by spending more money and applying three pounds rather than one. So in this case, you're spending more for a slow release and you're applying three times as much. <clears throat> so now you're really spending quite a bit more money to get that extra unit, the extra turf quality unit, one, one point basically. Okay. So you know, and let's see this. Oh, and the spring green up. The spring green up, uh, the one pound of urea was low. And this is where I've said before that what's when in the spring green up in April 2006, all the nitrogen sources are the same except the one pound applications in September of sulfur coat or urea. And this is what I've said before. Uh, you're gonna, if you're going to do that September application, you're going to have to come back in the spring and put out something probably anyway. You're going to have to put a little bit of nitrogen out anyway. Okay, and that's this is what would minimize this this uh, low spring green up value of four point three, which is quite low. Okay, the nitrogen was used up in the fall essentially is what I'm seeing here, and by the time the spring comes around, the nitrogen in the soil has been depleted. The turf grass has taken up whatever it's going to take up, and it needs a little food. Basically, is what it's saying. Okay, so you can give it a little food the first of April and probably minimize this number. Okay. Let's go to on here's the here's the pictures. You can see these these uh, brown squares or whatever are the control, and then you can see the green squares. It was quite substantial in that study. It was pretty pretty profound responses. Dollar spot severity. Just want to point out that if you didn't apply any nitrogen, the dollar spot was quite quite high. The there was no differences in any in sources at all. All of them have Bs, uh, but the, if you don't apply anything at all, you're looking anywhere between two. To maybe as high as six percent dollar spot occurrence uh, when you don't apply any nitrogen whatsoever okay but if you apply anything including just the one pound of urea in september then it gets that dollar spot gets reduced down to uh levels equivalent to three pounds of in you know from other sources as well as from urea as well so just apply a little bit of in basically is with the take-home message there and it'll minimize the occurrence or the risk of having dollar spot Let's go to Kentucky bluegrass canopy greenness. The, oh, I still messed this up. I thought I had these color coded. I guess I didn't. So the canopy greenness, <clears throat> it's going to roughly follow the quality numbers here. We see the canopy greenness of the control being lower than pretty much yeah, every, I don't see any oh, here on the first year, the first year they were the same. I mean, that first year it hasn't quite, hasn't quite got released yet. But after the first year, it's only rarely that you see anything equivalent to the control. Most everything's greater than the control in terms of greenness. And uh, you'll see the urea treatment have bees, basically. So the, here's we see the urea treatment, the one pound urea treatment have bees all the way across. So anything that has a bee is equivalent to that. And the one that separates itself is the three pound September polymer coat had greater had greater greenness. Uh, at every rating than including the mean than the one pound of urea treatment but it it only surpassed the three one pound applications of urea 
in the fall of the of the second year 2004 right here okay so right here is where the only time that um the polymer coat three pound polymer coat urea was superior to that of just straight urea okay the only difference is you have to apply the urea three times as opposed to applying it once from the polymer coat so that's the green that's that's an objective measurement we always get in these not we don't always get them to them, but sometimes the you get knocked back and forth the, the value of objective measurements versus subjective measurements and this in this case this is an objective measurement using an instrument as opposed to turf quality which is subjective but i would argue that in an industry if it ever comes up and you have a conversation with somebody and you're looking to understand why we do things in ag it's objective money is objective okay you're going to make this much money or you're not going to make this much money it's that simple okay you're going to you're going to have this much yield or you're not that's objective but we're not in that world we're dealing with homeowners the value of their property not the value of the property the value of their lawn the how well how attractive it looks the acceptable limit of their lawn is subjective to them it's up to them to determine whether or not it's acceptable or not okay so we go back and forth sometimes like uh, whether it's we should be using only objective measurements in turf grass i don't fully i don't agree with that because to use only objective measurements in an industry that is dominated by subjective measures doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense to me i'm, I'm comfortable i guess using subjective measurements in an industry that is driven by the subjective eye of of the end user of the homeowner okay of the the coach of the you know the golf course owner or player okay it's subjective it's not a, it's not an objective measurement of how hard or the the the, the, the you know how, how fast the grass is growing anyway i'll move on the dry matter yield we always get these questions sometimes or i always get these questions well i don't want to use urea because i don't want this massive flush of growth you play this urea and you get this massive flush of growth compared to slow release and we've done some work with that and occasionally you will see this these fluxes these growth increases relative to slow release in sources but i just want to po point out that in this study you'll see uh very little evidence to support that okay if you're it, you, this was the treatment the four the three pounds of polymer coat had the highest growth rate total of of all of it it was they're all a's but the highest magnitude was from the two polymer coats okay applied at three pounds but they're all the same okay these are all the same real even the urea three pounds was still the same as the as the polymer coats in the total the only one that was lower was the the two that were lower were their one pound applications one pound from sulfur coat and one pound from urea and both of them had to, had the totals were the same in terms of the yield when you look at the individual years there's a slight difference here and there but for the most part you're going to see the urea one pound application uh be equal to or less than the uh, the polymer coats here okay the a and the a means they're equal this d here and is is it's so it's lower than that when you're applying three pounds so this the this this comparison is the same three pounds of urea from three pounds of polymer coated urea and you're seeing the growth rate is actually lower in the three pounds of urea this was one right here okay three pounds of urea three pounds of polymer coated urea and the growth rates lower from the urea than from the polymer coat you'll see something similar except for it's just the same where you have three pounds of urea versus three pounds of oh, oh, oh wrong one. Oh yeah three pounds of one application yeah 
from one application, you see three pounds. And they're the same growth rate in that year. And then and it's the same thing whether you apply one, one, three, one pound applications of polymer code or one three pound application of polymer code. You don't see a massive flux of growth in the year. Now, maybe if you went down to the harvest level de detail, then maybe you would see a harvest here or there be, you know, have a flush of growth perhaps. But occasionally we'll see differences in growth rates. But more frequently, we see something like this where there's not a lot of difference between these. So this idea that now and we're not putting out three pounds of urea in one shot here. We're putting it out slowly, you know, or putting it out over months. If we put out three pounds, which I wouldn't recommend, then you probably would see a great flux of growth. But we're putting out rates that are within our BMP limits. And we just don't see this fear of, oh, we're going to grow it and it's going to scalp it and it's going to look horrible. Well, that can happen, but within BMP limits, it's pretty rare. And this, these data support that statement. Okay. The last sort of uh, summary and recommendations, then I'll go to the chat and answer any questions you all have. The highest or comments you have, the highest quality in greenness occurred where three pounds of N per thousand square feet from sulfur coat or polymer coat was applied in September only, or urea was applied at one pound in September through November. So if the intent of this study was to show, can you put out one application of slow release and avoid all these regular applications of soluble, then yes, you can do that. That's what these data showed, but you're going to have to pay for that. Okay, you can also just put out urea and get the same response and pay less, but you'd have to go out there and apply it. And in some cases, in most of the, in many of the cases in this study, the one application of one pound in September of straight urea had equivalent or well, mostly equivalent quality responses as all the polymer coats, regardless of the rate they went out. These data suggest that homeowners could apply a single three pound application of sulfur coat or polymer coat in early September, which is what this showed. You could do that if you want to. This practice would ensure sufficient availability across the fall months to produce a high quality bluegrass lawn with less effort than traditional programs than required two or three in application. So you would have less effort. You would apply one pound, one application rather than three. But remember the one pound, one application of urea still got us a lot of good, good quality turf grass for a long time. Where reduced in nitrogen inputs are desired, a moderate, a moderately acceptable bluegrass lawn can be achieved by applying one pound right here in September only, which appears superior to single sulfur coat application since the sulfur coat treatment was really different from the less control. It is important to note that these end recommendations are based only on two years where the clippings were removed. And they go in saying where regular fertilization occurs and clippings are returned, annual nitrogen rates can sometimes be reduced by half. I would argue that it can be reduced by more than that, depending on your location. But these, these papers that he references show that. Additionally, for this particular study area, a nitrogen-only fertilizer program could possibly be sustained for several years until a soil test indicated nutrient deficiencies since the study area had high potassium and very high phosphorus. This practice would potentially would minimize the potential for unwarranted nutrient losses. So I didn't go into the nutrient uh, losses and nutrient soils and things like that and how long you could apply it. But what he points out there, what Dr. Bigelow points out there is that the, the potassium and phosphorus were so high in that soil that there really wouldn't be a benefit to using those or applying those for many years, particularly if you're returning the clippings. I mean, we have a, I have, I don't know how many papers on clippings we'll, we'll have perhaps a month just on clippings. I don't know how many papers I got to, sh to talk about the value of returning clippings and the risk of 
returning clippings in some cases and so forth. Okay. But um, when you're phosphorus and your potassium, when your turf grass is not showing deficiencies in those two elements, either of those elements, it's not showing deficiencies and your soil test indicates that your nutrient levels are, are high enough, then eliminating those from your program is not only environmentally wise, it's also economically uh, and, and profitability wise. So, you know, consider that if you're looking to save a little money, um, particularly if you're, I, I don't like to follow numbers. I don't think we should be following numbers on soil tests, except for under very specific conditions. But if your phosphorus level is, and if I'm assuming Malik 3, in this case, they use Bray 61 on the Bray 1. But um, if your phosphorus levels on Malik 3s are anywhere 30, 40 or greater, then the chances of you seeing a benefit to applying phosphorus in those cases is pretty low. And you probably should consider removing phosphorus completely. Potassium is a little bit um, higher. The potassium levels in most of the literature will indicate something around 40 to 60 parts per million malic three something around those numbers if you're anywhere around those numbers uh then eliminating potassium you probably would not even notice it in the turf grass at all and you'd save that that money in terms of you wouldn't have to buy the potassium is what i'm saying we'll get into that in some future um video i'm sure uh let me scan through the text or the chat here real quick see if there's anything um uh the details while we're here thank you um Oh, the, okay, so the grass arch says um, a standardized unit of quality such as NDVI. I know that's not perfect, but doesn't that eliminate significant amount of subjectivity and general argument? Yeah, well, my eyes tell me differently. Okay, so there is a paper by Dr. Dale Brimmer from Kansas State, who is now, I believe, retired. I don't know if he's emeritus. That I will go into about NDVI and turf quality and the the. Conclusions of that paper basically say, I don't know what NDVI is going to be. I can't relate NDVI to turf quality. I know there's other papers, particularly up in the Northeast United States from Connecticut, that show you should be able to use NDVI to manage nitrogen applications in the fall. I, got, I get that. <clears throat> but because NDVI is notoriously poorly correlated with turf quality, and Dr. Bremer's paper is one of the more thorough papers uh, on that topic, that pretty clearly shows that yes, NDVI can occasionally be correlated, but it's more frequently not correlated with quality. Um, I'm not, I'm not uh, in the boat of using NDVI in any fashion, uh, except under scientific conditions where we're, we're attempting to either correlate it or we're attempting to, um, you know, do something in the scientific community. But to use to put that in the hands of an end user and tell them that the NDVI unit should be X. And if it's below X, you should apply nitrogen is, um, I don't think we're anywhere remotely close to being able to do that. And I think the evidence in Dr. Bremer's paper supports that statement. And the, the easy, I mean, this, this is a, sort of a ridiculous analogy, but the easy sort of extreme analogy would be this. If you had a lawn that was, um, you know, a nine on the quality scale, a hundred percent. Um, I don't know what you have in Tennessee, but let's say Bermuda, I guess. I don't know if it's Bermuda or, or cool season down there in Knoxville, but um, you have a hundred percent Bermuda and it's 90, it's, it's a nine on the quality scale and you put an NDVI on it. And let's say the NDVI is 0.75 and you shot that same NDVI gun, the NDVI instrument at another lawn and it gave you a 0.75. The average person would say, oh, well, the NDVI on the quality of the Bermuda 
was seven five or the quality was at the at, at nine bermuda grass was a hundred percent and it was seven five and i shot it on my lawn and it's also 0.75 so i shouldn't have to do anything to it but meanwhile that lawn was 80 percent violets and 20 percent tall fescue it looked horrible right <clears throat> but because the instrument doesn't delineate or differentiate between species or anything else in the in the in the reflection it's going to give you back a high dvi number even though the, the lawn looks like crap okay so you should you shouldn't have to do anything to this lawn because it looks great because the ndvi is 0.75 so that's that's the i know it's a ridiculous uh, analogy but it, that's sort of the extreme analogy like you know we need to know what the turf grass looks like in terms of um density weed presence disease presence well, color all these things and that that's all accounted for in the turf quality rating not only that the cv values of turf qualities are usually much lower than anything else so sure not specifically ndvi but a standardized unit of quality versus my eyes uh, well what do you well what do you i don't I, maybe you need to get on here and explain it to me um because i don't really know what you mean a standardized unit of quality i mean we, i'm not sure what you mean by that uh matt so if you can help explain it to me what you mean by a standardized unit of quality then maybe i can help go down that road a little bit with you um when you say standardized to me i'm thinking you know we do standardize unit of quality we have a set very clear criteria for what goes in quality and there's a publication for that and explains exactly what's considered in the quality rating and how it should be um rated so that's sort of a standard and i have to go pull that publication i haven't read it in several years but there's a standardized method that we've agreed upon to use to assign a quality rating to turf grass swords but i don't know if you mean that or you mean like an objective measurement of quality um oh yeah okay so everything so okay so he says yeah everything that's encountered for in quality well if you want to know that i'll pull that paper i honestly i haven't read that paper it's got to be five years um, but there is a paper that talks about like what are the various how are people measuring quality and what should be considered and how should we go about you know uh, assigning that value having said that when when grad students come in anybody comes in i could go to uh let's say i go to uh I don't know, Dr. Goatley's uh, <clears throat> trials over in Virginia, <clears throat> and he's assigning quality ratings, and I'm assigning quality ratings. Well, if I'm assigning quality ratings to his trial, I have to be calibrated to Dr. Goatley. So I might assign something an eight, and he might assign something a seven. You know, there is variation in that because a human's involved, but it's critical to eliminate, to minimize the amount of variation and error that if I'm on his trials and I'm doing stuff for him, that I, I calibrate my ratings to him and vice versa so that's that's a factor that we have yet to figure out completely how to eliminate you're always going to have the actual um operator the actual raider it's her him or her have variation in that this if the same raider is doing it there's much less variation in that than if you have one raider doing it one month and a grad student doing it the next month and so forth okay so there is no question a disadvantage to that method we do our best to minimize that error but it does exist okay Okay, guys, that's it. Tomorrow, don't forget, nine o'clock, we have an author coming in who is uh, extremely well-known and um, very, very well-respected. He's going to have dinner at the ASA and then hightail it over to his hotel and, and join us 
he's going to be maybe the first professor ever to go talk science, science, science at a very high level, and then go back to hotel and talk science, science, science to the average operators and, and just average Joe's like, like ourselves to, that can actually use the information and, and, and implement the inf information. So, um, we'll see if he can, you know, do much better than I do when it comes to going science, science, and then having to like convert it into English units and kind of make it a little more simplified to how we can actually apply the science is kind of where I'm going with that. So anyway, with, with that guys, I really appreciate everybody today. Thank you all for showing up. Um, I'm really happy with the chat and the participation and so forth. I'm glad you guys are finding it useful. If you need anything, um, you can always get a hold of me on calendar.com slash Travis Shaddix. Until then, tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we will have uh, our next show. Thanks, thanks so much, guys. <clears throat> See you tomorrow night. Bye.